We can all recall a time when we were preparing for something important to happen. No matter how clean my grandmother kept her home, and it was clean, I knew that it was nearly time for my cousins to come and visit with my, with my aunts and my uncles when she started to really get ready. And it wasn't just making sure that stuff was picked up if there was any stuff to pick up. It was making sure the beds were ready and ensuring that everyone had a comfortable spot. And it was also making sure that the food supplies were not only sufficient for the extra mouths, but she also made sure that they had the stuff they liked. I always say that I really, truly knew when my cousins were just about to my grandparents' house, because next to the regular raw milk in the pitcher in the container, you know what my grandfather used to go to, get to, the, go to the farm to get? Next to that pitcher that we usually drank from, there was a plastic two-gallon jug of 2% milk from the store. So what I'm saying is the city kids didn't know what was good for them. <laughs> but anyway, all of these preparations and anticipation made it very clear to me that the time of their arrival was near. When you're expecting someone, you prepare, and this is what we see as we read this morning from the first chapter of Luke. It was time to prepare the way of the Lord. Because we've been following throughout the Bible, from the beginning of Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, we follow this story that the, that the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And we see here in the book of Luke that this time is upon us. His arrival is near. We must get ready. So, as we prepare today, as we hope to look at this passage that we've read and to understand it and also to apply it to our lives, we're going to break it down into three points like we always do. And so the first one is, is that we actually meet a familiar story here. Now we've come across two characters that will not get much play, even in the book of Luke. We're not going to hear much about these people apart from this chapter. And that's the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, when I say that the story is familiar, it's not that we know the story because it gets read around Christmas all the time. What I'm saying, the part of this, the story that is familiar is, is that Elizabeth is barren. We've heard this before, remember? Sarah was barren. Rebecca was barren. Rachel was barren. So as we read this, we find that, that God is making something very clear here. That he is the one who brings about the arrival of the Messiah. It's not the will of humans. It's not their desire to have children. It is God's planning. It is God's timing. It is God's will that is being done. Secondly, we're going to see that the birth of John the Baptist is foretold, and Zechariah doubts. Now, we could be fair. There's good reasons for this doubt. The previously mentioned fact that Elizabeth is barren and she is advanced in years. But as we've seen before, God makes a promise to bring a child because the human limitations cannot stop God. And so due to Zechariah's unbelief, God silences him. And this story of the promise of John the Baptist is driving home this point. And I've already made it, but I'm going to make it again. God is the one who keeps the promises. These promises are supernatural and not of human will. And finally, we see that God is good to keep his promise. 
And Elizabeth understands that, that the blessing that God has put on her is great and miraculous. She understands that it's not because of anything that she and Zechariah have done, but that the Lord alone takes away her reproach. God is the one who accomplishes his will in the life of his people. And so we land in the first part of the passage today as we are introduced to these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, we're pretty used to this general story. Uh, It's at the beginning of Luke, and maybe if you even read it with the Christmas story, maybe it's an Advent reading. But imagine with me for a moment that you're hearing this story for the first time. You've been told that Jesus is the crucified and risen Savior. So this book of Luke seems like it would be an enthralling tale. And now where you begin is, is with some story about a priest and his barren wife. Shouldn't, shouldn't the story of Jesus begin with, you know, the, the story of Jesus? But here in Luke... We learn about John the Baptist. We will see the significance of his ministry in the future. But the story starts off differently than we would expect here. We're expecting to see Jesus, but we're seeing John. This is to be a story about the crucified and risen Lord. But now we're we're not hearing about him. We're hearing about another baby. Maybe it seems a little bit strange if we've never heard the story before, but God has a definite purpose in telling us about this. And Luke lets us know who this Zechariah is. He's a priest, and so therefore we know that he's a Levite, and his wife Elizabeth is also from the daughters of Aaron, so she is a Levite as well. And Luke lets us know that they were righteous before God, and they walked blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, This doesn't mean that they were flawless, that they had never sinned. That's not the point. Instead, what Luke is saying is that they were upright. They were godly people who followed the commands of God, yet there was something in their life that had not gone the way that they had hoped. They were without a child. Now, we read that this was because Elizabeth was barren. Now, this this is a terrible and substantial thing in their culture. It was terrible to be barren. It would have been a substantial source of shame for Elizabeth because children are a blessing from the Lord. And so to be without them, there would have been some sort of implied sort of disgrace before God. And perhaps this is why Luke lets us know that that they were upright and followed the statutes of God. The reason they were without child was not because God was punishing them for sin and unbelief, Instead, God is going to do his good and perfect will in their lives. She's not barren because she has done some sort of sin. Instead, God has a plan that he is going to do. Now, as I mentioned, as I was lining out the points for today, this is a story we know. Being barren is a familiar theme in the Bible, and particularly for us because we've seen this so often in the book of Genesis. As we've been journeying through, this idea of being barren is, is familiar to us, right? And the most famous example is a story that we were engrossed in for a significant amount of time. Sarah and Abraham, they were promised to have a child through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, but she's aged, she's barren. And remember that theme that I kept coming back to. I kept on driving home throughout that story. We like to think of the story of Abraham and Sarah as a comeback story, right? They can do it. 
But what did I keep on saying? It is not a comeback story. It is a resurrection story. That's the point of the barren womb of Sarah. It's not a you-can-do-it type of story. It's about God bringing life to Sarah's dead womb because he is the only one who can save. And so as the story of our Savior is being told, God has once again ordained the story of his people to unfold in this way. Once again, God is going to drive the point home to us. He is the one who saves his people, period. He is the one who accomplishes his will. It is not because humans worked their way around to get it done. It isn't going to be because a husband and wife had a child like husband and wives have children all the time. The story here is it's God who brings life. It is God who saves. And as we read this story and consider it, we need to have that as the undercurrent that helps us to understand this. And normally, I'm not too big a fan of going forward and and mentioning stuff in the text that we're going to be seeing soon, but I think we're all pretty familiar with the story of Jesus, right, and him being born of a virgin. I think we know that. We talk about that all the time, so I don't feel so bad jumping ahead a little bit. As we get to the story of Mary and the birth of Jesus, we're seeing the same story again. We're going to encounter the same, same theme of being barren. Because what is more barren than the womb of a virgin? The story of salvation that we're going to see as we come through Luke, the undercurrent is that God is the one who brings life where there is not life. That's what we're going to see. And so we've met the characters in this story And we know what the big theme is going to be. And so let us move on to our second point as we look at the promise that God brings to Zechariah and Elizabeth. So as we journey through the passage, what we find is that Zechariah goes in to perform his priestly duties. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, I love how Luke describes this. An angel of the Lord appeared to the right side of the altar, and Zechariah was troubled. You think? Now, Anytime someone is where you don't expect anyone to be, you are, can be easily startled. So there are many times when Katie is here cleaning during the week where Sutton makes it a sport to scare me. Yeah, I'm glad you think it's funny. No, it's great. In fact, she, ironically enough, I walked into the kitchen this morning, see if there was coffee ready, and Sutton jumped out from behind the door and scared me. I thought, you don't know how funny that is, kid. So anyway, she jumps out and she scares me. She's gotten me many times. I jump right out of my skin. Here I am walking around in a big empty church. I know there's other people here, but somebody jumps out and scares me. I can only imagine if I was here some morning early and praying and suddenly an angel is sitting in the chair next to me in my office. I think I'd be more than troubled. I'd be more than startled. I'm pretty sure that you all would probably have to sort out my final affairs. Just, uh, my, heart would, my heart would probably fail. But, but what does the angel do? He, he tells him not to be afraid. Now that's easy for the angel to say. He's the scarer and not the scare The angel has good news, though, for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their prayers have been heard, and God is going to answer them. Elizabeth is going to have a son. His name will be John. And This name means the Lord is gracious, or the Lord has shown favor. And now in their old age, and in the barren state of Elizabeth's womb, 
The favor and grace of God is being displayed. And the angel gives them even more details. Obviously, they will be filled with joy having a son at their age, but they are also told that he will be great before the Lord. And he is not to drink strong wine or other strong drink. Now, this has some people thinking that John was a Nazarite that was set apart, similar to Samson, but we don't know for sure. The Bible never tells us that he was a Nazarite. But the big idea is that John is different. And his life is not only set apart for the service of God from the very beginning, but we also read something very interesting. He is being filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Now, that's amazing. But we shouldn't be surprised by this. It's not the actions of man that cause us to be filled with the Spirit. It is the electing grace of God. And so John being filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb of Elizabeth, shows us that God is the one who is at work. God is the one who is doing his perfect will. And so being filled with the Spirit, we read that he is going to do amazing things. He's going to proclaim the word of the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. In other words, he is the one who will fulfill the promise of the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. And so we see that this is what was promised. This is what was foretold in the Old Testament. This John who is coming, preparing the way of the Lord. But like you and I probably would, Zechariah finds this extremely hard to believe. Now this kind of, this kind of cracks me up when I think about it. Uh, Zechariah, you were just startled by an angel being to your right. Um, Maybe you should trust an angel guy, you know. Maybe that's what you should do. Uh, But this shows us just how contrary it is to human reason and ability. It's impossible for an aged and barren woman to have a child. And again, we see an echo of the reaction of Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they doubted the possibility of God's promise coming to pass. And we see Zechariah doubting. And so what does he want? He wants a sign. So as a sign, the angel Gabriel lets him know that he is, going to, he is not going to be able to speak until the day all of this has taken place. Now, that's an interesting sign, isn't it? When you ask for a sign, you don't expect that something is going to be impeded. Or at least, at least I wouldn't. If we ask for a sign, we might expect a flash in the sky or some sort of blessing. But this is actually a form of judgment on Zechariah. His ability to speak has been taken away because of his unbelief. But his lack of belief is not going to cause the blessing of a child to be rescinded. God is going to keep his promise. It's going to come to pass. And we read that the people are waiting for Zechariah. In all of this, we we forget that he has actually gone in to burn incest and do his priestly duties. And it tells us that the people are wondering what is taking so long. And then he comes out, and then he can't speak. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what Zechariah communicates or how he does it. But isn't it fun to imagine a guy in priestly uh, priestly garb doing charades? I mean, I I think that's great. He's trying to tell people my old wife is going to have a baby. How, How do you act that out, right? But eventually the people understand, he's able to communicate to them that he has seen a vision. And despite all of this, we found out, we find out that the standards of attendance were a little bit stronger back then than they are now. He's required to stay as a priest. Even though he's lost his voice, he's seen a vision, he's got to stay. Now you and I would, if we had an employee who had something like this happen to him, 
what would we do? Why don't you go home and rest? Just stay there till you get your voice back. Just, just go ahead and punch out. Come back when you're feeling better, Zechariah. But this poor guy had all this occur and has to go about his job for what was likely a week or two without being able to speak to anyone and go home. But when the time of his service is ended, he's able to go. And that's an important detail here. If he and Elizabeth are going to have a child, he has to return home from his service. Remember, this is a miraculous birth, but it isn't a virgin birth. There are two parties involved. And as we move on to our final point, we find the joy that Elizabeth has in this promise from God. And the pace of the story continues to be quick here in Luke as we find out that Elizabeth conceives. She's been barren for decades upon decades, but but now the promise of God comes to pass quickly. He is accomplishing his purposes in the life of Elizabeth. And the impossible miracle has come to pass. God is the one who brings life to his people. And he's brought life to the womb of his servant Elizabeth that he might bring glory to himself through John the Baptist preparing the way of the Messiah. Now it's rather interesting to look at the story here and see that she keeps herself hidden for five months. Why would she do this? The text doesn't tell us, but likely it was to rest and prepare and keep herself safe. Remember, she's rather old, and pregnancy can take its toll on women regardless of age. Even the young can have difficult pregnancies. But notice what Luke tells us she has to say about this as she keeps herself hidden. Clearly, part of what she's doing is she is away and in isolation as she is praising and worshiping God during this early stage of her pregnancy. And look at this sentence up here from Elizabeth. What a beautiful statement. As a barren woman, she would have been seen as someone who was being judged by God for her inability to conceive. She would have had this stamp upon her everywhere she went. Likely even her friends and family would have looked upon her in this way, that somehow she wasn't worthy of having a child or that she was being punished. This would have loomed over her all the time. But isn't it beautiful that instead the exact opposite was true, wasn't it? Elizabeth wasn't barren because God was punishing her. She was barren because he was going to use her to bring glory to himself and to bring into the world the one who would prepare the way of the Lord, the one who will crush the head of the serpent, the one who will bring salvation to the people of God. What was believed to be judgment upon Elizabeth was actually blessing to show the amazing majesty, power, and grace of the triune God. So in this promise, God takes away her reproach, and instead of being seen as cursed, she is now an amazing sign of blessing, for God's mighty hand is surely upon her. For who can conceive at an advanced age without the miraculous intervention of Almighty God? And what an amazing picture for us this is of the gospel. In our sin and in our unbelief, you and I are barren. We are without hope. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God in His mercy comes to us and brings us to life and He takes away the reproach of our sin. By grace, through faith, we are no longer children of the darkness, no longer children of the curse 
but instead we are children of the light. And so through God's providence, this story shows us the picture of the bigger story. It points us forward to the Lord Jesus even before we hear about his arrival. What a blessing that God was working all things together to bring salvation to his people. And so, what can we do to take away something applicable to this passage for us? How can we walk away from here that we might bring praise to the holy name of Almighty God in our lives this coming week? Well, I think there are two very significant applications from this passage for you and I today. Because as the people of God, this is not only the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's our story too. So the first thing that I believe we should take away from this passage is that we should take God at his word. As we look at Zechariah and his response, we find that he had an angel of the Lord in front of him, and he doubted the promise that was spoken to him. We wonder, how could that possibly be? How could he do that? He had an angel tell him and he doubted? But at the same time, you and I often find ourselves doubting the promises of God, and we have the clear written word of God in front of us. It is just as foolish for us to doubt the word of God as it was for Zechariah to doubt the word of the angel. So may we hear the word of God, and instead of responding in doubt, may we live confidently that we have heard the very word of God. May we in word and deed believe what God has to say to us. All of our sin is failing to believe the promises of God. And so may we remember his word and believe that we might pursue holiness and bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. And secondly, our second application is to speak the word of the Lord. Think for a moment about Zechariah. He and Elizabeth had desired a child for many, many years. And now when the angel announces this good news to him, he is silenced. He can't tell anyone that they're expecting a child. Imagine that feeling of being unable to speak when arguably the most important news in his life is able to be told. Well, God has not left us silent. The good news that Zechariah had was just a precursor to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that you and I are called to proclaim. That's the message that God has given us voices to speak. In his mercy, God has taken the reproach of our sin and he has given us new life. So may we not be silent about the mercy that he has shown to us and may we proclaim the good news. Now in God's providence, it is so appropriate that we come to the baptismal fount this morning after hearing this passage. As we celebrate the sacrament of baptism, we are called to take God at his word. We do not believe that anything salvific is happening in these waters, but that they are a sign and a seal of the promises of God to his people. We trust by faith that God is a God to us and to our children. And if we believe that, we cannot be silent. We must proclaim the gospel to Rayleigh, that the Holy Spirit might work in her to create faith in her heart through the proclamation of the word of God. And so may we be diligent in these two applications, not only for Rayleigh, but for all of our covenant children as we desire to fulfill the baptismal promises that we make 
by taking God at his word and speaking the word of the Lord. Amen.